Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a great episode with Eli Wilder. We're going to be talking about the Black Canyon, uh, the Gunnison River that runs through the Black Canyon in Colorado. We're going to be talking specifically about the salmon fly hatch that's about to go off here, say, in the next uh, 30 days. And uh, it's an epic hatch. There's salmon flies that are hatching all over the West kind of during this three-week time. But the Black Canyon of the Gunnison is is a very, very special place. And it's down in the bottom of a canyon. And Eli's going to shed a, a bunch of great light on this hatch and the fishing conditions there. But before we get to that, I want to thank you guys, specifically the listeners. Thank you for all the loyal support. And I want to encourage you guys to reach out to me and uh, uh, send me your questions, send me your comments. If you've got anything to to ask or to tell me, or if you got pictures of successful hunts or fishing trips, uh, feel free to uh, reach out. I love it. Uh, Send uh, the questions or comments or photos or what have you to jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Also, if you follow me on Instagram at jscottoutdoors, you can send me direct messages uh, on Instagram, and that's usually a great way to uh, get a hold of me. And uh, uh, I just appreciate all the support that you listeners give this podcast. I want to also thank the sponsors of this podcast, and particularly uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting is a sponsor of the podcast. And the Kuyu Mobile Showroom, the Kuyu World Tour, is kicking off in Medford, Oregon, May 25th through the 27th at Rogue Valley Mall. And this is your chance to experience uh, hunting's most in- innovative brand. You're going to get to see the complete Kuyu product line. You can ask questions. You can try on stuff. You can touch it. You can feel it. You know, try packs on, try boots on. Um, you know, make sure the sizing is right. So if you've wanted to get your hands on the Kuyu product, this is your chance. Uh, so Medford, Oregon, May 25th through the 27th. You can also go on KuyuWorldTour.com and get the full schedule. But from Medford, it's going to be Portland, Oregon, June 1st through the 3rd. Seattle, Washington, June 8th through the 10th. Spokane, Washington, June 15th through the 17th. Missoula, Montana, June 22nd through the 24th. Boise, Idaho, uh, uh, June 29th through July 1st. Idaho Falls, Idaho, July 6th through the 8th. Bozeman, Montana, July 13th through the 15th. Denver, Colorado, July 20th through the 22nd. Colorado Springs, Colorado, July 27th through the 29th. Omaha, Nebraska, August 3rd through the 5th. Kansas City, Missouri, August 10th through the 12th. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, uh, August 17th through the 19th. Dallas, 24th through the 26th. Houston, 31st of August through September 2nd. Lubbock, September 7th through the 9th. Albuquerque, September 14th through the 16th. Grand Junction, Colorado, September 21st through the 23rd. Salt Lake City, September 28th through the 30th. Cedar City, Utah, October 5th through the 7th. Las Vegas, October 12th through the 14th. Phoenix, which is my hometown, uh, October 19th through the 21st. San Diego, 26th through the 28th. Los Angeles, November 2nd through the 4th, and then Reno, Nevada, uh, November 9th through the 11th. Make sure to get out and check out the Kuyu uh, 
uh, World Tour, the Kuyu Mobile Showroom. And I just want to thank Kuyu, Jason Harrison, for his crew over there for supporting this podcast. I also want to thank GoHunt.com Insider. I also want to thank uh, Phonescope.com and Outdoorsman's. And you can check the show notes uh, of this podcast to see the different uh, promo codes that you can get with these companies. And guys, I really appreciate your support that you give this podcast uh, and all the great feedback that I get. Again, please send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com or follow me uh, on Instagram and send me a message through Instagram. That would be great. Let's get right to this episode. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we're going to be talking fly fishing in Colorado, specifically in the Gunnison, Colorado area. We've got Eli Wilder on the phone. Eli's born and raised in Colorado. He's 32 years old and guides for Gunnison River Expeditions in the Black Canyon and also guides for Gunnison River Guides, uh, which is a uh, internet-based uh, uh I guess you advertise through internet and based out of Gunnison, Colorado. Eli, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Jay? Good. Um, I follow you on Instagram, and I contacted you uh, wanting to know if you wanted to chat on this podcast about the upcoming salmon fly hatch, which um, the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, as you're probably about to tell us, is a real special place. Um, I have a little bit of experience in the Black Canyon. I have uh, gone down to the East Portal several times. I've come up from the Pleasure Park, but I've never actually floated uh, the whole canyon from start to finish. I've never done the overnight trip, Uh, but I have um, a few friends that have done it, and and it's an an unbelievable feeling. fishery uh you know from from the little that i have fished it it's it's something that's definitely on my list to do um eli where are we at we you know we're we're may 19th here 2017 and you know where are we at as far as the hatch and you know what are the conditions right now and what are we waiting for for the uh, salmon fly hatch to really kick off Okay, perfect. Yeah, so we're waiting for, you know, as, as uh, everywhere in Colorado, we have high water right now dealing with runoff. Um, fortunately, though, with the Black Canyon, it is all dam release, so it is uh, controlled through the dam, uh, so we know what the flows are going to be doing. Uh, right now, the flows have just been kicked up somewhere around the 3,500 mark, uh, which is full runoff. Uh, we're projected to keep bumping the flows up uh, the next few days, uh, the next few weeks until uh, roughly around the 27th of May is what I heard, and then they're going to start dropping it back down. Usually as soon as you start to see that drop, um, you know, anywhere between that, and, you know, I've fished this hatch up to 5,000 CFS, and it still fishes good. But it fishes really well between the 1,200 to 3,000 mark. It just depends on where the fish are at. Um, but the bugs are totally dependent on the water temperature. Um, so they will start somewhere downstream in the uh, Delta area, just very, very dirty water down there. It's hard to fish. And uh, once it hits the North Fork, uh, which is usually around that, those first couple days of June is when it starts down there, uh, you'll get that emergence you know, daily down there. Uh, and the bugs start to migrate towards the shore, which the fish absolutely follow nightly. Uh, it's kind of a big misconception. People start to fish the hatch and they 
fish the middle of the river and wonder why they're not catching fish. Well, the fish have followed those bugs to the shoreline, uh, which is the funnest part about that hatch because those fish follow those bugs, and once they know they're there, that's where the fish are, and they're looking for them. Okay. But, uh, so I, that should start about the uh, – yeah, go ahead. I, I got a couple questions there. Um, sorry for interrupting. Um, you, you say those salmon flies uh, – okay, so a salmon fly is the largest of the stone flies, and correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, and they're crawlers in, in that they're, they're – for people that are listening that aren't real familiar – Aren't they crawlers and they're on the bottom of the river and they crawl to the edge of the river because they yes. they will hatch outside of the water. Unlike a lot of uh, mayflies and caddis and stuff that we fish, these bugs actually crawl to the to the bank, get out and dry their wings and go up into the trees. Correct? They're, they they yes and the, yes, the exactly. trout the trout really get after them in their nymph. You know when they're crawling to the bank correct and nymphing a big salmon fly you know a big halfback or something can be absolutely deadly can it yes it can and uh you know which is which is very good and like you said you'll you'll get those uh those bugs start very deep in the river system they start down in the cobble and even this time of year you know may April, they'll start that kind of migration towards the shore. So they'll start moving around and crawling around. And that's when those fish, you know, take full advantage of those nymphs getting swept through the river system as well. And then so, uh, once once they make it to shore, that's when they, uh, you know, they're not going to hatch immediately, but they'll kind of stage in that area. But once those fish kind of know the numbers of stonefly nymphs have made it to the shore, that's when the, the whole the magic happens. <laughs> so, Eli, would you say, like, you know, before before the emergence really happens, the the water. What you're saying is the the flows are high, so even if the fish are seeing some um, stone big stonefly nymphs, we'll call them salmon flies. Um, yep. They may not be keyed in on them because the water is flowing so big. But as more and more of them really start crawling, do they? I mean. Do they single out and just get close to the banks and just start feeding on salmon fly nymphs? Uh, the big fish definitely will. The big fish uh, will definitely battle for those top feeding positions. And, uh, you know, some of the best times I've found for this hatch uh, to catch some of your biggest fish is when that first emergence happens. Because those fish are looking, once they've dried out their wings in the morning, they'll be able to fly out to the water and the vulnerable ones fall back into the water and that's what those big fish are looking for so let me ask you a question um it, you know early on in in when the emergence is first happening what you're saying is um that the the gunnison river is dammed up at blue mesa and that's you can tell me the distance, but then what you're saying is down by Delta, which is lower down the, the, the river chain, by Delta, Colorado, um, the water is actually warmer. The temperatures are warmer. It's kind of not in the canyon, so to speak. And the, as the water warms, it starts there, and then it works its way up the river all the way up to the dam. Is that correct? That is correct, which... And, uh... It's pretty amazing that it starts, and I believe it's something like 22 miles, and I might be correct or incorrect there, but I believe that's what it is, something like that. 
And how how long will it take kind of on a normal year from, say, when you start, you know, the first emergence downstream? How long is I mean, is it a week long? Is it a month long? What what kind of you know, what can you expect? Uh, honestly, you can expect a push in three weeks on a normal year. Um, you can have different waves. Uh, all of us guides that guide down there, we talk about different waves. You'll get, you know, different waves through the canyon. Uh, we call it the first wave, which is kind of what we're talking about, the original emergence. And then you'll get a whole other wave of just where the nymphs have kind of all hatched and you have nothing but adults. And that's when the dry fly fishing is the best. And uh, that's probably your mid-June. Uh, you know, we, we shoot for that second week of June is what we might have read about, um, which is definitely when that kind of seems to happen. And do you, I mean, do you really prefer fishing the dries during this hatch just because they, such violent takes and soaps, you know, just, just um, voracious eaters? Um, or do you, as a guide, do you like nymphing and, and you know, pounding fish? What is your preference you know, maybe when you're guiding and what about when you're on your personal days fishing, um, you know, how, how do you like to fish the hatch? Uh, I personally fish the hatch as much as with a dry fly as possible. <laughs> That's so, what the fun is all about. So you'd rather tease up, you'd rather catch one fish on a dry than 10 on the nymph, even though sometimes nymphing, you can pound them. You just love to see that take on the, on the big dry. For the most part, yeah, and, uh, you know, we fish a lot when that situation occurs. We definitely kind of fish the uh, what we call dry dropper technique with the uh, the dry with the shallow, such as a pass rubber leg. You know, sometimes the shallow is 12 inches, uh, sometimes maybe a little bit more like 18 to 24 inches below. Um, but still, fishing that really close, tight to the banks, tight to the structure, that's where the fish are going to be. And... Uh, you know, even, we even have techniques that sometimes those fish just don't want to eat those dry flies uh, as much as we want to force it. Sometimes, unfortunately, it just doesn't happen. Um, but the fish are still right there, and they're still looking for stone flies. Um, so you put that rubber leg right against that, that bank, and sometimes you give it a little twitch like it's swimming, jig it, give it a little motion, and that can produce some of the violence, very violent strikes. And it's almost like a dry fly because it's right below the surface, but not quite. <laughs> so would you say sometimes you have clients that maybe aren't, you know, they're not the greatest casters. They're, they haven't got the men down right. And they're kind of skating and kind of dragging their fly and they'll actually catch fish. And, and they're really not even trying to just because they're actually putting a little action on the fly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes you get those big dead drifts that'll, you know. And that's the other thing is fishing this hatch over the years of, you know, different, you'll find different techniques that produce fish more than others. And sometimes that motion, exactly, the skating technique, especially in the low light, uh, low evenings, early mornings, uh, can produce a lot of fish. And sometimes those fish uh, really like that motion as well. And you can really, when nothing's going on, you pop it, skate it across the water, and it can produce some really violent strikes. Uh, as well so so once the beauty of the gunnison is you never know (laughs) (laughs) the um once the hatch really starts happening let's say as far as during during the three-week period let's say you know you're kind of right in the middle of it um 
you know, is it a sun up to sun down or is, you know, the morning better? Is the evening better? Midday? Is there, is there any, you know, magic window or is it just tie it on and start casting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, cause we actually deal with this a lot, especially with clients. Uh, people get down there and they want to fish all day. Uh, most guided trips, that's how we fish. We fish nine to five somewhere in there. Um, but we're down there all day. Um, so what we try to te- you know, tell people um, is that the fishing is not always good during the heat of the day. Um, the other thing we deal with in the gorge and the, in the Black Canyon is that it's pushing 100 degrees a lot of times during June. Uh, when you're in the canyon, it can heat up to even 100 plus, and if you're in a raft, it can be 120. Uh, so you're actually kind of pushing uh, the limits sometimes with staying hydrated and everything. So we tend to take breaks during the middle of the day and wait for those lower lights, uh, that cooler evening. And that can be, honestly, the best fishing. Um, but when the hatch is actually on, we call it the magical three days or five days, whenever it happens, um, you can catch fish all day long. It does not matter. Sun up to sundown after dark. <laughs> It does not matter. They're eating. Let me ask you a question about the the um, Black Canyon and, um, you know, is it is it primarily a brown trout fishery? Um, you know, I, I believe you guys had whirling disease. Just curious on, you know, the amount of browns compared to the amount of rainbows and talk a little bit about that and, and maybe, you know, in different parts of the river, does the size go up or down on both? you know, the rainbows and browns, um, maybe talk a, a little bit about where the different sizes are found throughout the river and what have you. Gotcha. Um, the beauty of the Gunnison is that it is, you never know. I've caught monstrous fish from the top all the way to the takeout. <laughs> Honestly, on a lot of our guided trips, some of the biggest fish are caught within a hundred yards of our takeout, um, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, the, the Gunnison definitely have been fishing this fishery for the last 15 years. Uh, when I first started fishing it, rainbows uh, were definitely kind of hard to come by. Uh, as guides, we used to do competitions to see how many rainbows we could catch. And, you know, pulling a couple here or there would, would kind of be good. Um, but now through efforts, uh, honestly, through Colorado Parks and Wildlife, they've been um, getting a lot of uh, rainbows actually up in the East Portal and milking them and, you know, getting their fry and then helicopter dropping them back into the canyon and into the gorge uh, in mid-August or so once they get about seven to eight inches or a little smaller. So they've actually have done uh, a huge effort in stocking, you know, stocking native, you know, it's hard to say native fish, but they're actually black canyon string rainbows introduced back, back into the canyon. Um, and these last couple of years, honestly, we have seen a huge influx of rainbows, which is awesome to see. And the size, like I said, you, anywhere, <laughs> and that's the beauty of the Gunnison. You just never know. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an amazing fishery. It can hold fish. Um, but our average fish during the hatch, uh, like I said, you, you, you hear us talk about, you know, the big fish take over those battles. You know, they'll battle for the spots. And uh, those big fish, on average, you know, will be 17, 18 inches, possibly 22, 24, 
um, even a little bigger. The biggest one I heard of last year landed was a 27-inch rainbow. Jeez. Um, are the, are the rainbows, of, uh, rainbows bigger than the browns, or, or are they typically, roughly the know, same uh, size? It's, it's hard to say. Usually when you catch rainbows on the drive, just because it, for some reason it takes a bigger rainbow because they have smaller mouths to eat those big dry flies we kind of found out, um, they're big quality, healthy fish, you know. And they're eating, they're eating so many stoneflies uh, that they're just supercharged. You know, you can get a 17-inch fish that is almost 20 inches around, and it's just unreal. You just look at these things like, how are you still eating? <laughs> and uh, actually, you know, a funny story, too, is another guide that I guide with down there. Um, unfortunately, sometimes these fish take the flies so deep even with pinched barbs and everything, they just take it so violently that they'll they'll get gilled or whatever. And unfortunately, you know, you got to take a few home. Sometimes they get part of the game. Um, but one of the guides, he cut open a fish's belly and he counted 150 salmon fly drives in his belly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, explain that to the listener that maybe doesn't know. I mean, we're talking about, an inch and a half, maybe two inches long, maybe even bigger on adult salmon flies, right? I mean, we're talking yes. like the size, exactly. picture like a peanut, like at a baseball game, and it's bigger than that, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's about like, I'd kind of compare it to your middle finger, maybe your pinky to middle finger. Yeah. And that's about what, yeah, jam that into your belly, 150 of those, and that's what the fish, and they still want more, <laughs> you know, I, it's not I, enough. I had the fortune um, one time uh, to fish a, a salmon fly hatch on the Madison River in Montana. And my wife and I, kind of in early June, we hit it just right. And um, I think we were there for two or three days. And it, it, it would... It was unbelievable in the morning, this, you know, fish after fish after fish. And then as the mm -hmm. day wore on, more into midday, they would come up and still hit it, but it's almost as if their mouth wasn't even open, but they couldn't not at least yeah. come try. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and it almost like they just kind of lip it, and then they just go down, and they're not actually, like, taking it. And the ones that we would hook, you know, later in the morning would be literally, you would feel their bellies, and they would be so hard, like, and lumpy. <laughs> It's yeah. a, you can't even imagine that they get their stomachs that full. Yeah, it's, it's really pretty amazing. Yeah, it feels like they're literally eating baseballs. <laughs> okay, so my next question is, so you have this emergence that, that starts down on, you know, the lower part of the river, and then it works its way up. You know, do you want to stay ahead of that? Do you want to be below it? I mean, where do you, as a guide try and focus and position um your clients in in the you know chasing the hatch so to speak i know there's a real right. fine line of like exactly where you want to be and kind of a timing and maybe even pull the boat over sometimes and just kind of wait because you you know as a yeah. guide what talk a little bit about that timing cool yeah so um there's definitely a little timing as far as you know the seasons go which we were talking about a little bit um, earlier in the season, as far as like May, first week into June, uh, your your best chance at hitting that hatch is going to be lower in the river system because that's where the emergence is, the, the warmer water. 
um, those fish are going to be seeing those adults a little bit more and more and more every night um, as those stoneflies come out at night. And that's when they come out and emerge. Uh, you'll hear me talk about that a lot. Um, they come out right at right at dark, literally um, 30 minutes, the last 30 minutes of the evening into the next hour or two hours of the of night is when all the stoneflies crawl out of the water, up onto the grass, into the cliff walls and trees and everything and start their emergence. Um, so you want to be kind of on the, the, the waves of those is, is also what I was talking about. So you'll get, you know, a big hatch overnight and you kind of want to be right at the, right at there that next morning. Cause all those fresh bugs are going to catch that sun in the morning, dry their wings out and then go start flying around looking for mates and looking for new areas. And that's when they're vulnerable, you know, when they're on that flight. And we call that, um, so that's kind of another timing thing, um, but more focused on like a daily issue. Um, so we'll try to time it with what we call the morning flight, which is usually when the, the sun is starting to hit those fresh uh, hatched bugs, right? So those freshly hatched bugs need to dry out their wings so that they can fly, which takes about 30, 40 minutes of sun. So once that happens, um, you'll get a huge flight throughout the canyon. And uh, being in a canyon at some areas is different because, of, you know, they call it the Black Canyon for a reason because there's so much shade down there. Um, but so the bugs will just fly that whole first couple hours of the morning, um, usually starting about 9, 30, 10. They'll start flying, flying, flying everywhere, going nuts. And the fish, like, like you were just talking about, those fish will go nuts feeding on them for a while and then usually that midday it'll get real hot all the bugs will kind of go lay down lay into the shade and then uh the fish will kind of lay back down till that evening and then you'll get an evening fight where all the females will actually come back out and lay their eggs into the water and uh you'll get fish starting to crush them again in that evening low light um but as far as seasonal goes We'll take it back a step or two, back to the seasonal part. Um, You definitely want to be keeping up with the hatch, uh, staying ahead of it. If you don't want, if if you're in it and you got flyers everywhere, you're right in it. If the fish aren't eating, it's more likely a daily timing issue versus a seasonal issue. Um, That's one thing I hear a lot of fishermen talk about: is oh, there's bugs in everywhere, but the fish just didn't seem to want to eat it. Well, you probably were fishing them during the middle of the day and fishing it out too far. More, more likely you need to be fishing right where you're standing and fish it in the evening, in the morning, you know, in the low light condition. Um, so in other words, if you, hatch, sorry to interrupt you. If, if you've got yep. bugs flying and it's hot and it's, you know, high sun, you would almost say, take, take a seat, take, you know, take a nap, take a sandwich, eat a little bit, wait up and definitely hit, you know, don't, try and stay in that area and fish that area uh you know the last couple hours of dark because if you've got bugs flying during the day they're going to be right there flying right at last you know last couple hours oh yeah exactly and and you know if those bugs are around in that whole area too the, the beauty of the canyon is it keeps all those bugs on the water all they can do is go up or down and so they pretty much have to travel the river corridor so as they start dying too uh, which happens, you know, later in the hatch, uh, that kind of third, you know, week on, even second, third week, fourth week into the hatch, you know, later in the season, 
you'll get more and more of those adults dying. So you'll get fish, you know, just cleaning up those bugs throughout the day as well. So you kind of got to fish a little harder for them, but they're still eating. Um, but your best chance for catching that hatch, yeah, if you're struggling on a daily basis and you're seeing a ton of bugs and you're just wondering what's going on, best thing to do is, like I said, just take a nap, wait for that low light to happen, and then uh, start working it tight to the bank, tight to the grass, wherever those stoneflies are just going to have a nice easy slip right into the water and the fish is going to take advantage of them. What would you say on on your, you know, fishing the hatch for three weeks how many of the trips are overnight, you know, couple day trips and how many of them are, you know, just day trips, you know, running up from the bottom, you know, uh, you know, you guys have a service. I, I, I'm pretty sure you guys have a service that runs people up from the yep. bottom on an airboat um, yep. and, and then can drop your raft and then you you float down. How, how much of the, of the hatch is, is our day trips and how much do you do our overnight uh, we do actually a lot of jet boat trips, especially earlier in the season when that hatch is lower in that river system. Uh, the jet boat is allowed to run four miles up that lower end of the river to what we call Smith Fork. And uh, really, you hit a, a rapid just above there, which you're not really going to be able to run the jet boat above. So um, we do a ton of trips down there. But uh, I personally uh, am a canyon guide, so I'm up in the canyon. Uh, but we do a ton of trips up there, too. Uh, we're allowed to launch four boats a day, and uh, we're pretty much booked out the entire month. So <laughs> yeah, we stay busy. Yep. For sure. Um, most canyon trips that, you know, you're in the canyon, um, you know, how many days are most of the canyon trips, and how much water do you cover in those days? And then do you always take out at um all the way down at pleasure park i mean you float it all the way out or do you do you get do you hike i mean i'm curious do you hike back up and come around or do you always come out the bottom and then start back up at the top again yeah that's a good question um yeah so we run the float in the canyon is is 14 miles so we run uh, we actually start our trips up in chucker trail which is um you know, about a half an hour drive, maybe a little bit longer from Pleasure Park, which is located right at the confluence, which is where the fly shop and everything is located conveniently right where we take out. Um, so we actually kind of take out right where we pretty much meet people. And uh, so it's kind of a nice fancy loop. <laughs> gotcha. um, but yeah, it's 14 miles up in the canyon. And uh, most people, yeah, they do uh, three-day trips. Uh, we do a lot of two-day trips. Um, usually we don't do too many one dayers through there just because it's a long, it's pretty much a long day because we've got to meet at Pleasure Park early in the morning, drive all the way down in the Chucker Trail and then hike in, get in the boat and row all the way through the whole 14 miles. Um, so if you're going to do it, usually you want to, you know, spend a few days, definitely enjoy the beauty of the canyon and you get to enjoy those, those early and last light fishing opportunities as well. So Gotcha. For those um, people listening, um, if you hike down from Chucker Trail, how far of a hike is it? Um, and it's straight down, isn't it? Switchbacks all the way down? Uh, yeah, Chucker Trail, it's not terrible. Um, it is 1.2 miles down to the river. Uh, there's a little switchback section at the top 
and then it really honestly you hit a wash and it, it, it flattens right out and you're kind of walking through gravel uh we had kind of a a big rain event that kind of washed out a couple of the little spots there that were uh inconvenient so it all kind of made it a nice little wash um but it's really not too bad i've seen you know eight-year-olds run down it and i've seen 80 year olds take their time to get down it as well so it can be done and uh also handicaps uh we also can put you on a horse and uh get you down the trail as well so nice now so you've got the pleasure park you've got the smith fork then you've got chucker trail and then as you go up the canyon are there any uh say from east portal down is that can can guide trips even float that or is that not even acceptable from say the east portal down to chucker trail yeah that's a great question we often get asked that one as well um and no you actually there's no guiding allowed within the national park uh the national park is from what you just said the east portal down to chucker trail um the chucker trail downstream is designated as blm ground uh the gunnison gorge management area and we are allowed to guide in there and uh and uh boaters beware if you're trying to boat through the black canyon put in at the east portal uh there's 25 foot waterfalls and (laughs) supposedly the river goes underneath a bunch of rocks i haven't been to that section of the canyon yet but that's what people tell me so i mean it's not like it's not like on your day off you can go up you not guiding just going up on your own you could put in at the east portal and float down it's it, it's not passable yeah it's not kayakers do it and there's uh there's another like seven uh seven miles in or something you got to do a mile portage through a bunch of poison ivy and yeah it's uh if you really want to look it up there's a couple of youtube videos of guys running through there in the kayaks and it's really pretty gnarly stuff um, but there are several access points, uh, as far as hiking in trails, uh, which are pretty, uh, formidable trails to get into. Uh, the best access by far is definitely the East Portal. And the next easiest access is probably the Trucker Trail. And there's several other access points within, uh, the Gunnison Gorge to access the river as well on foot. You, you mentioned, um, <laughs> some of the videos I've watched on YouTube, you mentioned poison ivy and um, the other thing is rattlesnakes, both of which I believe you have poison (laughs) ivy and rattlesnakes. Can you speak to that? Yes. That is part of our daily speech with clients down there. Um, (laughs) So there is plenty of poison ivy down there. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with it, uh, you should have time to look it up ahead of time and look what, see what it is. Uh, There is plenty of it down there. Um, I advise you to just wear pants when we wet wade. I wear pants down there, even though it's hot. Um, waders get super hot when it's a hundred degrees down there. They're kind of unnecessary, but shorts can get you in trouble and even be cautious when you're walking around. It's tall enough to be, uh, some areas it's literally head high. So you got to be cautious around, around some of those areas. <laughs> and, is, it, uh, is it inevitable that you're going to get it? Uh, no, not necessarily. As long as you you uh, know what it looks like and you can avoid it, you're not just 
walking through brush not paying attention um yeah definitely uh some areas honestly though are are way worse than others and usually you can pay attention and avoid it okay so and there's and there is trails along the river you know there's like a a little path where you can see where other fishermen have kind of walked around it and avoided it usually so how much of your fishing from chucker down um is actually out of the boat in in where you actually never even get out of the boat with clients and you're in you know you're in the raft all day or is it more you go to a float down to a spot fishing and then you get out and fish gravel bars and stuff or how much you know how much once you're in the boat are you constantly just fish float fishing out of the boat or are you getting out a lot um a little of both definitely so if we say we're doing a three-day trip and we're only doing 14 miles we definitely need to get out and uh you know fish some shoreline and honestly you can fish a lot of our pocket water and stuff a lot better uh from shore than you can out of a boat um some of our best fishing in the canyon is is right along the whitewater rapids uh, so a lot of times what we'll do is, is we'll either park ahead of the rapid and kick people out and let them fish back up the rapid to us or go through the rapid and then park the boat and get out and fish back up the rapid. And uh, that seems to work really well for us. Um, you know, but then we can get out at camp too, and there's a lot of shorelines that will just kind of let you get out and fish, you know, a couple hundred yards because you might be cliff touts you know, little section that you can't access otherwise other than being in the boat. But, yeah, we fish a, a, a fair mix of both. Um, honestly, I kind of let clients tell me what they want to do, um, if they like fishing out of the boat or if they like getting out and walking. So. I assume you're talking about fishing next to the rapids and, you know, the whitewater. Um, I would assume on the edges where those soft pockets are because it's – because there's so much moving water in, say, the middle of the water column, um, you've got those pockets, and it just creates a perfect pillow and stuff for fish to just sit and just gorge on on bugs. Exactly. Perfect ambush spot for those um, big stoneflies to come washing down. And uh, the other thing I've learned, you know, as we're kind of talking about this too, a, little, a, a big secret to fishing this hatch is fishing uh, what we call dumpster lane. So you might have a big run above you that looks super sweet, you know, and there's bugs falling along it and there's bugs falling along it and you're watching it and you're like, well, why aren't these bugs getting eaten by fish? Well, that fish might be a hundred yards below that. He might be down the next rapid below that where all those bugs are still getting washed down the river system and he knows where to sit down in that lunch lane and clean up those bugs and clean up those bugs and clean them up and clean them up. And he doesn't have to go anywhere searching for them. They come to him. And uh, finding those spots has taken, you know, some of the experience that the guides have, obviously. <laughs> but uh, finding those cleanup lanes is, is, is very crucial. And in those uh, rapids, you're not going to have a lot of stoneflies, you know, flying around right in those rapids, dropping into the rapids or whatever. But that's where those fish know that those bugs above them are getting washed down into those holes and whatnot you know so it's a very good spot for fish and uh stoneflies so they come together good in those spots (laughs) for sure let's talk um the bugs themselves and let's talk about the flies that you use um are there any tricks of the trade as far as colors or sizes or any little special 
you know, things that you do to trick your flies out to, um, I know I'm going double top secret here, but is there, you know, is there any, <laughs> no any, any colors or anything that, you know, little things, clip the legs, you know, leave the legs, uh, you know, short wings, long wings. Is there anything that you say, you know, on average, you want to have this fly to have more success in the, in the Canyon? Um, yeah, that's perfect. Um, so early season, you're definitely, um, probably going to be dealing with dirty water and it can be pretty discouraging, especially trying to fish dry flies. Um, one of my best dirty water patterns are more sparkly patterns, you know, Chernobyl patterns with a really sparkly bottom, uh, still kind of that orangey color cause stonefly or salmon flies, uh, are orange on the bottom and orange and black are pretty much their basic colors. Uh, orange is obviously going to stand out better than black. And, uh, those fish will literally get to a point where they eat anything orange. You can throw orange, you know, whatever you want out there and they'll flash at it at some point. Um, so yeah, so orange is definitely a key factor. Um, flashier kind of sparkly patterns definitely work better and dirtier water kind of earlier in the hatch catch their attention. Uh, but once those fish kind of see enough of those bugs, they'll actually kind of shy away from those sparkly, you know, flashy patterns. Um, so they'll kind of get back to your more natural, um, what we call like flush floaters or, you know, more natural looking, more realistic ties. And, uh, you actually sometimes might have to take a magic marker to them. Um, this is definitely one of our, our guide secrets there. Take a magic marker to them and make them a little darker, uh, make them a little bit more black. Uh, those fish, like I said, they'll come up and see that orange and it'll be too bright for them and they'll actually deny your fly and go back down and realize that it's a fake one. Um, so sometimes just darkening up that fly just a little bit can make all the difference in the world. What um, size, Eli, are you fishing mainly? Uh, a lot of twos and fours. Um, definitely big, big flies. It's a big bug like we were talking about earlier. It's the size of your pinky to your middle finger. So you want to match that hatch. Uh, you're better going off bigger than you are small. Um, the other thing with this hatch is it does bring some of the biggest fish in the river system to the surface and to the feed main. So you want to be focusing on those trophy trout. Um, if you're fishing a tiny little fly, what happens a lot of times is you'll get you know, 12 inches, little 14 inches. Sure, they're fun to catch, but that's kind of, they'll come up and steal your fly before the big one can actually grab it. Um, sometimes when you fish those bigger flies, those, those little fish won't even attempt to eat it, or they'll just come up and bump it, and you can let your fly ride, and all of a sudden that big boy's like, I'm taking that one. And there you go. Suck it um, down. And you also, yeah, exactly. And what? you also want a big hook to keep these fish hooked as well. But uh, always remember to pinch your barbs on those big hooks because it definitely helps. For sure. Let's talk. Yeah. Um, let's talk uh, leader and tippet length, and 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 what you know. Are you using two x or are you using four x or you know what are you using? I, I would assume early in the you know early in the season, early in the hatch, you can use you know pretty big heavy tippet, and then as it progresses, you use lighter lighter stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, like we're saying, kind of beefing everything up, beefing up your flies, you got to match your tippet to that as well. Um, big, aggressive browns, they got their big teeth out. Um, you want to be fishing. A lot of times I won't even go shy away from 1X. Um, 
some of the other guys I guide with, you know, later in the season after the fish, they definitely kind of get a little bit more picky. Uh, you'll kind of have to go down to maybe three X, uh, but then you're risking, uh, you know, breaking a fish, fish busting you off. Yeah. And, and the other thing we deal with a lot down there on those float trips is, uh, you're fishing a lot against canyon walls, against those cliff walls. So you're trying to slam your fly right against the corner where that cliff wall meets the water line. And uh, it's really abrasive rocks, and it, it, it chews leaders apart. And you literally bust eyes off of hooks, bust bust your hooks right at the bend in the hook. Uh, I've literally have seen it all. And uh, so beefing up your, your leaders uh, to 1X, 0X, is definitely a, a big, big advantage down there. And if you're if you're getting denied and not having fish eat it, maybe go down a little bit, but go with the biggest you can get away with. Talk to me about length um, from the tip of your fly line to the fly in most situations. Perfect. Yep. Yep. Um, I definitely like to keep it shorter. Um, turning over those big flies with a big long seven foot nine foot leader is just kind of daunting and it's very hard uh to get your accuracy with it it's just very wind resistant fly i like to keep it a little shorter Uh, a lot of times i'll take tapered leaders and you know cut a little bit of section off either the butt section or the actual tapered in to make it a little bit stouter take a 1x leader cut about two feet off of it and you got yourself a pretty good salmon fly leader (laughs) so total length five feet or four feet yeah i would say to the dry and if you're fishing you know if you're fishing the dry to the dropper rig uh you can get away with shortening up that that dry fly leader it'll help turn over those two big flies a little bit better as well and you'll get better hookups as well too because you'll have less slack on the water and everything and uh it definitely it seems to have helped me over the years for sure okay here's a question for you <laughs> <laughs> do you ever get greedy and fish double dries oh yeah all the, time. Yeah. <laughs> the no, same yeah, fly or, yeah. or do you go with a bigger one and a little bit smaller one to back it up or what what do you typically do uh so awesome question yeah so later in the season what happens you know as the salmon flies progress uh what happens next is the golden stones um which is kind of our heat you know hidden little secret down there the golden stones is almost just as thick of a hatch as the, the salmon fly hatch down there. So a lot of times what we'll do once we start seeing goldens is we'll, we'll go with the salmon fly and a golden stone, right? And then uh, you'll kind of notice later in the hatch that they'll just start eating that golden almost over the salmon fly every time. And uh, that's usually a great way to go. But, yeah, you can fish the double salmon fly. Um, you know, even a, a caddis in the evening uh, can pull a lot of fish as well and uh mixing up your sizes and different colors yeah these fish they really aren't too picky when the hatch is going they just want something in that size and right in the right in the grill no crush it <laughs> that's awesome um i mean is it yeah. common is it common in the middle of the say the season when it's just prime you know that prime five days or seven days or whatever when it's just really on i mean is it what 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 kind of day is common i mean is it common to catch you know 20 or 30 fish or i mean is it is it common to catch more than that and then the the follow-up question is like in an average day of fishing when it's just on 
you know, are you catching a lot of 14, 15, 16 inch fish? Or are you catching a lot of, you know, 17, 18 inch fish? What, you know, what are you, what are you looking at? Yeah. So, uh, one of my judges of knowing when the hatches say, you know, like we're saying the prime time of the hatches, you'll be catching, you literally won't be catching fish under 16 inches. Uh, your average fish will be 16 pushing 24s. Um, you know, like I said, we've even seen a few bigger, um, We've been chasing a rainbow of legend. Uh, I don't want to say how big he is, but he's pushing He's pushing over 30. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we've been chasing him for a few years. But, uh, but yeah, we, uh, you know, you just never really know um, what can happen. Yeah, you're going to have little fish kind of battling over it. But for the most part, when the fishing's on in there, yeah, you're, we're searching for those, you know, 16, 17, 18-inch, just thick, healthy browns. Um, and occasionally big rainbows and, you know, but yeah, um, I'm sorry. I forgot what your other part of the question was. Well, I, you answered it. I was asking, you know, oh. numbers of fish and then size of fish. Oh yeah. Yeah. Numbers of fish. Um, yeah. So, you know, when it's, when it's on in there, it's not uncommon to see, you know, it, it depends on your angler a lot. Um, and you can go for streaks of missing a lot of fish too. Uh, it kind of happens a lot down there with the big fly and the big fish. Sometimes you just <laughs> screw it up, but, uh, it, it's not uncommon to see anywhere from 20, 30 fish, you know, before lunch some days, um, wow. some days in the evening, you know, I've, I've had a few trips where it's literally gone off and it's like, you're pushing 70, 80 fish. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And, and it's literally come to the point where, you know, I took my brother down there one trip and he literally uh couldn't hang on to the rod anymore you know, these fish when they hit they, they you're, some of these holes you're fishing in are you know 20 feet deep and you're fishing along a cliff wall and they're suspended above that 20 foot water and they just are sitting there right below the cliff wall waiting for it and you you hit them and as soon as they get hooked up with they go straight under your boat right down to the bottom <laughs> you're just trying to lift a weight and they're they've you know they're so full of of energy because they've been getting good protein they're just they're full of spunk yeah. aren't they yeah yeah exactly some of the hardest fighting fish it's it's really quite hard to explain <laughs> now are they are they in the canyon are they acrobats i mean do they really like to jump and and get out of the water or do they just die you know put their nose down and go deep you'll get you know honestly you'll get a mixed bag um these fish, uh, you'll get a lot of fish that just pull super hard, super hard, just dig, dig, dig. And then uh, all of a sudden you'll get a brown that just, you know, he's skying three, four feet out of the water. Um, but they definitely like to, they like to pull hard, uh, especially, and they know how to use that current to their advantage, you know. And uh, like we were talking about earlier, too, some of our biggest fish are caught in those rapids. So when you hook those fish in those rapids, sometimes they get out in that current and just wrap you around rocks and just never, <laughs> never to be seen again. <laughs> For sure. What, um, yeah. what weight rod do you recommend your, your, um, clients fish? What weight rod? Uh, I definitely, I definitely recommend five or six. Um, I prefer personally a six, um, just because you kind of got to beef everything up. You're fishing big flies, the bigger fish. It's nice to have that little bit of a little bit more oomph to it. Um, but we get away with five weights all the time as well. So gotcha. Or. Gotcha. Um, that, it just sounds like an incredible uh, time. And I know salmon fly hatches all across the West in different rivers. 
you know, I, I, I was, um, I, I spent some time in Jackson Hole, uh, Wyoming, and I'm actually going there this September and October, but um, mm-hmm. I remember asking a guide there on the South Fork, you know, what's, what's this, you know, the salmon fly hatch like here, and he just looked up, at, he just looked up, he was at the cash, you know, the cash register, and he looks up and he goes, it'll change your life. That's all he said. He, with a <laughs> smile, it'll change your life. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, That's right. Moving on from the salmon fly hatch, uh, I assume they kind of lull out a little bit after you know gorging so much. Throughout the summer, then do you, do you, does it switch to a lot of caddis fishery and and you know PMD fishery and and such? And um, can you also get some exceptional days as the summer progresses, or is it grasshoppers yeah, exactly. or what's the deal? Yeah, the uh, the gorge actually does fish really well uh, most of the summer. Uh, unfortunately, it does get pretty hot down there come July and August, uh, so you're definitely dealing with the heat. Uh, but the fish definitely uh, continue to feed, and it, it can be really good during that time of year. Um, the, like I said, the, the hoppers, uh, literally as soon as the, the salmon fly hatch and the golden stones kind of peter out, which is usually about that third week of June into that fourth week of June, uh, you'll have kind of, uh, you know, it'll seem like a lull, even though the fishing's still not that bad. We just have to switch our game a little bit. And, uh, but yeah, you'll get PMDs come right after that. Uh, yellow sallies, uh, by the thousands, um, which is it's pretty biblical hatch down here as well. Um, and then next you have the hoppers. Uh, the, the, the black Canyon is kind of, can be hit or miss depending on years, depending on, you know, just how hoppers kind of come and go. Uh, it can be good in the canyon. It can be kind of hit or miss. Uh, some of the best hopper fishing is the uh, the lower portions of that river system. And uh, that's where the jet boat trips come in pretty handy. And uh, we can even start fishing from that confluence down uh, the next, you know, 10, 15 miles downstream. Uh, that, becomes, that becomes a lot more fishable because the North Fork clears, so... Gotcha. Well, it sounds like, um, you know, the little that I have fished it, it's an amazing place and it sounds, um, it just, it's, it gets me excited just talking about it and it's been, um, great <laughs> yep. talking to you. You also do some, uh, guiding, uh, in Gunnison and around Gunnison itself. Um, when typically do you, you know, do you pull out of the Canyon and, and, you know, guide and, and fish more on the Gunnison River, say above Blue Mesa and, and some of the water up there. What what time of year is that? Yeah, so I finish usually in the gorge about that last week of June uh, after the salmon flies, stone flies kind of peter out. I'll uh, shift gears back up to the upper Gunnison up here and start following the uh, green drake hatch, which usually is about that last week of June into that first week of July, uh, the green drakes and PMDs on our river system can just be going uh, really, really thick by then. And uh, so then we'll start following that hatch up here. And uh, that's, honestly, our river system up here has become a really good dry fly fishery in the last several years. Um, we've kind of dealt with a, uh, a few issues with mosquito spraying out of a helicopter, and we got uh, with our Trout Unlimited chapter and got that stopped and our bugs have come back uh, a big time and our dry fly fishing has become really, really productive the last few years. So it's, it's been really fun. That's cool. One of my favorite rivers, you know, in, in, I guess the whole world that 
one of my favorite rivers is the Lake Fork of the Gunnison. Um, That's you know, right. Between Lake City and and um, and the lake, and uh, it's it's a phenomenal fishery as well. Smaller water, but um, just a beautiful place as well. Do you do you ever get up there? Oh uh, yes, quite a bit. I try not to talk too much about it. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but, it's uh, got no, a lot of private property, and and there's not a ton of public public access, but it's a beautiful place. Um, yep. Well, that's fantastic. Well, it's been awesome talking to you about um, about the fishing, and I can just tell that you're you're ready for it to happen. We're we just had you know uh, rain and snow, and and um, do you think that that will push the hatch, the salmon fly hatch back, or do you think it won't affect it at all? I'm curious with the with the weather that we've been having here in in Colorado the last couple of days with all the snow and such, kind of a late you know cold snap and and snow do you think it will prolong the hatch uh, or make it later or do you think it'll kick it off right on time uh you know i don't i don't think uh this current weather is gonna have too much effect i think we're out just a little too far you know as far as the with the water still being in full runoff down there um really it's more of a water condition thing than a environmental condition thing but yeah uh as far as when that that water drops and that does start to happen and the, the hatch is going. Uh, I've definitely have seen it where we hit a three day rainstorm and literally the hatch, uh, puts the brakes on. It definitely can kill the hatch. Uh, and I've seen it go the other way as well. I've seen it where it's super hot and the river's pretty low and the water's warm. And I've seen the hatch literally blow through the 14 miles in three days. Yeah. So, it, it can happen, but I think this year it's going to be uh, the way the water is. And, you know, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty normal year where it's going to be, you know, first first week of June through that third week of June, it's going to be on. So, well, that's awesome. Um, I look forward to seeing your pictures on Instagram. I want to tell the listeners um, you can follow Eli uh, on his Instagram at Wilder. That's W I L D E R underscore Eli. Um, and, uh, if people want to contact you, I assume they can contact you right through Instagram. How else should people uh, get a hold of you if they want to look into a guided trip? Uh, you can just shoot me an email at ECWILDER, that's ECWILDER at MSN.com. Give it to me one more time, Eli. It's ECWILDER at MSN.com. Okay, that's fantastic. Well, man, thanks for uh, sharing with us and spending some time and um, telling us about the Black Canyon. And um, it's fun following you on, on Instagram. And I encourage those people listening that are, uh, you know, fishing junkies, uh, follow Eli because he's got some phenomenal uh, fish pictures here on his on his Instagram. And you can tell he's he's all in on this deal. And um, it's it's fun to watch. So wish you and your uh, fishing buddies and guiding buddies the best of success uh, this season coming up. And I'll be uh, staying in touch and, and watching your progress. OK. Awesome. Thank you again, Jay. Good talking with you. All right, buddy. Take care. OK. All righty. Have a good one. Tight lines. All right, buddy. <laughs> all right. Thank you.